Baseball season's almost here, and there's never been a better time to check out DraftKings.com, America's favorite daily fantasy baseball site, where you could win huge cash prizes every day. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitment. Every time you play, it's like a new season. Head to DraftKings.com now and use code ATHLETE to play for free in the opening day $100,000 fantasy baseball contest. First place takes home ten grand. Enter ATHLETE for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Tell me why again. Why do you like black licorice better? Because it's for grown-ups. And you're, you say you're a grown-up. <laughs> I, I, um, I shouldn't eat any licorice because wow. I am... Yeah, that's Australian it straw. Just looks, it almost looks dirty. It is. Dude, it's strawberry Australian <laughs> licorice. And it's so nasty and good. So... We grew up not far from one another. Right. Um, but there were very few really good delis. My, my, one of my best friends in high school's dad owned a place called Rudy's in Plainview. And that's where I got – I think that was part of my development of my palate because I'm – you can see I'm speaking poorly because now I have this shit in my teeth. Good. But um, that's when I discovered the – Corned beef pastrami and tongue on rye with Russian dressing and, and coleslaw, um, which to me is the greatest sandwich ever made. Say it again. The greatest sandwich ever made is pastrami. Right. Corned Co- beef. Corned beef, yeah. Tongue. Mm-hmm. Russian dressing. I and, love that you added the Russian. Now, is that like the Russian they give you in the kosher places? No. Which is like that thin, crummy no, Russian? Thin, real crummy Russian. No, real, real ketchup and mayonnaise. How would you get that Russian guy? To, how would you get the guy to give you the real mayonnaise? Well, who's to say it's not kosher? I, yeah, fine. Right? I agree, but they don't I mean, usually... I've never heard of, like, kosher mayonnaise. Yeah, but why do they do it? And the, the, why do they give you that thin, disgusting stuff in those delis Because I think there's certain things they have to make bad. Yeah, you know? hard to get good coleslaw in those places. They, they well, it make... depends. Kosher coleslaw is bad because it's it's vinegar. And coleslaw should... It's not, it doesn't have to be made well, in So the, why can they sometimes... You, we're going to get into the whole thing, but why uh, can those places sometimes make good potato salad but bad coleslaw? But is it because the potatoes are creamy because of the starchiness? Possibly. I mean, German potato salad in its own right is good, and that's what... That's the style, right? I mean, German yeah. potato salad is... But right next to each other, you would think, well, if the potato salad's good. Because potato salad absorbs flavor. So when you make the potato salad... And the proper way to make potato salad is while the potatoes are still warm, you add your dressing. So the the potatoes kind of are like a sponge, and they'll they'll suck in some of the flavor, and you end up with a really nice flavor. So a a well-made German potato salad is pretty tasty. I'm going to start the show now, but I'm going to leave all that stuff in. Okay. We're just going to leave it in. Okay. It's just going to run up to this moment. Right. And now I'm going to start the show the way I normally would. Okay. Hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I am sitting here with my pal, Ivan Orkin, better known to most people as Ivan Rahman, uh, and, uh, which is also the name or it exists in the name of his restaurants. Um, four restaurants, two in Tokyo, two in Manhattan, which is in uh, a part of New York City. Right. Recently, one in Tokyo. Sort of, I've, I've slimmed down a little bit, but... Uh, but Running four from here was a little bit... Uh, challenging. It's kind of miserable. It's hard enough running it like you know twenty miles away when you're there, <laughs> you mean, as opposed to halfway around the world. Uh, so which one is re- which one remains in Tokyo? If the flagship, the original, Ivan Ramen. Yeah. And uh, 
Well, we'll get to the, what it's been like now to become sort of the level of entrepreneur you are with these varied interests in right. a second. Um, but, Ivan, I'm so glad that, that you're here, man, because, uh, you know, your story to me, and I want to get into it and be able to ask you questions that I haven't before, um, is so much what I'm, I'm thinking about all the time and is so much uh, what I, I, you know, try to talk about on here because you really have built this thing out of some incredibly low, difficult moments mm -hmm. in your life. And I'm so interested in how how you kept going and, and how you did it. Right. Um, but, but let's let's start at the at the beginning. You grew up on Long Island, probably 15 minutes from where I grew up. Right? Yes. What, yes. What's Sayas? Well, you know, I was writing my book and I set my mother galleys and I and I said I was from Syosset and she got very upset and she said, you're not from Syosset. What? We're from the the unincorporated town of Oyster Bay Cove, which we paid a lot more money to live in than Syosset. But you went to Syosset High School. I did go to Syosset High School. So was what was the, the benefit of Oyster Bay Cove? It's a more exclusive address. I thought you were going to say Woodbury because no, yeah. there's the, you know, very elite Woodbury shopping commons. Right. There is, there is Woodbury. I mean, I left Long Island to go to Manhattan, which felt to me like a big move. You ended up in Tokyo, which we'll talk about, but... You, so you grew up on, on Long Island, and what were you guys, uh, were your parents in the food business? And no, no, what, no. What no. was their thing? I mean, my, my mother is a five towns girl. Uh, my dad's from uh, uh, Concord, um, and my dad uh, was a, passed a couple years ago, right. but yeah, but he is um, a, an intellectual properties lawyer, uh, mostly representing uh, advertising agencies. They must have been so proud when you decided to become a line cook. Yes. Well, that must have been a great victory for them in the beginning. I was, I, was, I was the black sheep until recently. My mother argues and says no, and I said yes. Yeah, yes. You know what it felt like. You know if you were the black sheep. I know. I mean, you know if you were the one that they looked at a, a little bit askance or yes. wondering when's Ivan going to figure it out. Yes. So yes. that was you. You were when's Ivan going to figure it out. Well, I mean, I was uh, such a total, you know, f that by the time I... You know, like, I mean, I, I wasn't like a. I, I, mean, I always had a job. I've always like been. I, I got responsibility kind of down. I mean, as far as you know, I, my parents never had to bail me out. I never had to call and say, you know, I need money or help me. I'm in trouble. That that never really happened. But I right. was just a, a super duper. I mean, the reason I'm successful is the reason I was such a, f because I was so hyperactive that I just bounced off the walls my whole life. And, you know, I'm the classic case of, a you know, trying to educate a child in a, in a quiet room in a chair when I don't function that way. You only function by finding something that, like, you're obsessed with and then throwing yourself at it. And the more, the more stuff I have to do at one time, I mean, I, I sing. <laughs> right. but, so let's talk about what happened. You, you, you said you've always been working. And in, in your book, which is, what's your book called? Ivan Rahman. It's catchy. Uh, Ivan Rahman, which I, I read the book, you know, uh, that's, I think, right the week that I met you, I got the book and, and read it. Um, and you started at a young age, so you're in school, school's hard for you and annoying, right. but and you don't have an obsession with food yet. I have, I always had this weird thing about food and love. And I grew up in a family backstory. My mother told me one day that she wished they would make a pill that she would eat every morning so she would never have to eat. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, you know, that's the kind of, you know, I didn't, you know, I'm not like some of these chefs who talk about how, you know, they, they learned 
cooking next to their grandmother and, and they have all these incredible food memories. And, you know, to me, you know, my mother would open a can of uh, Campbell's cream of mushroom soup and pour it over some chicken breasts. And but that was, uh, was she, was she, I just ate in a restaurant for, for lunch and they were offering this cream of mushroom thing on top of something and some place been around forever. And I, I said to the guy I was eating with, they're just opening camels. I said they're just opening camels and seasoning it. Yeah. They're adding cream. Right. And actually, my mother's not a bad cook, actually. I mean, I, when she did, when she had a dinner party or when she put her mind to it, she made tasty food. It just, she wasn't, she just wasn't very interested. Well, was it because she didn't want to gain weight? Like, what was that no, about? No, no, was it about, I, I she just she didn't has, care. She just had other interests, you know. And then you had this one friend whose dad had a deli, so you knew there was, you would spend time there and those smells. Well, I think by that time, I, I mean, I already always knew I was obsessed with food. And I mean, and I didn't like fast food. I mean, I started making my own food when I was 16 or 17 because I didn't like eating what my friends were eating. What do you mean making your own food? Yeah, you know, just I mean, probably at the time it was no no bigger a deal than making a, a, a tuna melt or a, or something. But you know? when did you get the job working in a local Japanese restaurant? When I was 16, 15 or 16. Well, you, you decided you wanted spending money? Was yes. it there or did, was it you, know, you really I, want to work I, in a restaurant? I always had a job. I've always had a job, uh, and it was very sort of just, you know, my friend called me up, a guy, I mean, a friend, he was a guy I kind of knew, wasn't a great friend, and he called me up and he said, hey, you know, I just got this job at that new Japanese place in, in town, and they need one more dishwasher. Are you interested? And um, and so I got this job, which I didn't wasn't looking for, but it was five bucks an hour off the books, which I remember, which is a lot of money in 1978 or whatever. Sure. And um, I remember going in, and I remember like I, I don't think I had any expectations, but the cooks were unbelievably friendly, and I, I would go in there, and I was always hungry because I was 15, and they would always feed me. And, you know, I wrote in the book, right? I walked in the first time. I said, oh, I'm starving. And the guy, like, grabs a raw egg. He whips it up into a frothy mess with some soy sauce. And he dumps it on top of a bowl of warm rice and goes here. And I'm like, what the f***? Right, you never had something like that. No, no. But, you know, I also had really good manners. So I wasn't going to say I'm not going to. I just asked for something. I'm not going to not eat it. So. And when you tasted it, what happened? I thought it was awesome. You did right away. I have a I have a pretty pretty crazy palate, I think, you know, and it really I don't know if I I don't know if I mean who knows. I mean this is many many years ago, man, but I I just remember being able to discern all the different interesting flavors. There was powdered uh, seaweed on top of it, and there was the soy sauce and the and the freshness of the egg. I mean, you know, there's still people out there who would you know if you suggested eating a raw egg, they would say, oh, you know, that's a horrible thing. But eggs to me. You know, there's a reason why the well, the great French chefs make you make an omelet to prove that you got balls. You know, I mean, it's it's eggs are great, and no, the people who don't know that eggs are great need to go back and reflect. They should reflect <laughs> and really think about it. Sit quietly and picture the beauty. Of, well, eggs are wonderful. They can look at uh, David Chang has been posting on Instagram these little videos of what he calls egg food porn. Yeah, soft I eggs know, where he'll so, just like yeah. cut the egg and let it ooze. So. Yeah. So that was a fully raw egg, or he did? No, it was a raw egg. Raw egg, boom, on the thing. And I eat that now that I'm sort of weirdly half Japanese. That's the stuff we eat at home for breakfast. You know, a whipped up raw egg, which I mix into like fermented soybeans, natto, and pour it over rice, and it's just a total gooey mess. That's so. That's breakfast in your house. Yeah. Not, not every day. No, but yeah. a breakfast will be for your uh, one egg. egg. Yeah, fresh farm farm egg whipped on up. top of hot rice. Hot rice with a little bit of soy sauce, some scallion, you know, maybe a little nori or sesame on top. And are you wonderful. serving breakfast at any of your joints? It's coming soon. 
Because that's I'm a worried. great Japanese Dude, breakfast is something I want so much in the city. You'll get a friends and family invite. I, I that's my it's, favorite. It's, it's thing. being planned right yeah, now. Yeah, you know that's good luck because For I was uptown. at the first friends and family uptown in the city and right. the second friends and family right. downtown in the right. city. So I think we have to. Yeah, I got to yeah. come to the third yeah. one. 100%. So it's got some pretty. We've got a pretty cool breakfast menu we're creating. For the uptown place. For the uptown place. That's perfect for me. Yeah. That's great. So you, you eat this thing. Right. I have some questions about these these cooks because uh, do you think you lucked out that there were these passionate cooks or do you think like all over the place there are people who are passionate about doing that job? You know, sometimes you think like a local restaurant there on Long Island, they're not known for being very good a lot of the time. I think that these were Japanese guys and I think Japanese people can tend to be very friendly and nice, especially when you enter their world and look uncomfortable. Anyway, what ended up happening was I had this crazy collision of two things I really like because I, I love communicating and I love people and I love food. I think anything food, anything where there's food involved, I'm just already just in. You but know? do you think if you would have walked into a Greek restaurant, your whole life would have been about, you know, Ivan Siddiqui? I mean, do yes. you think? I, you know what? Yeah. I prob- you're pro- yes, probably. I mean, if they, if they were as kind and warm and if they, you know, because also remember, you know, this you're talking about a culture that's really mysterious. So I remember, like, you know, I was very intrigued by the language. Um, I was like, wow, you know, I wonder what they're saying. And that's, you know, I heard a lot of, you know, because they didn't, this was like a real, this was like walking in, into Japan. You'd walk through the door and they they didn't hang out speaking English. They were all from Japan. So they were all speaking in, in Japanese. There was very little English going on. So I would just hear the, the Japanese going on in the background all the time. I was eating pretty authentic food. I wasn't eating, you know, salmon teriyaki. I was eating, you know, raw, you know, raw heart and, and, and garlic sauce. So Chicken heart. Yeah, whatever. No, uh, beef too. Oh, beef chicken and chicken heart. Beef's good. Raw beef's really good. I love, I love, I love any, kind of, any kind of raw heart I'm, I'm into, but... Yeah, but, uh, or, or very lightly cooked. But, yeah, um, but I, but no, I, I have. I've. I, I think I have maybe never had heart. You should. No, I know. There's I, a song. You think from the damn Yankees? No, I know. <laughs> I know. I should. <laughs> but I haven't. So you're there. You're getting into that whole thing. Uh, are you learning ja- a little bit of Japanese? Not. Not anything. No. Net, not Nothing. yet. Nothing. Not at that Just. Time. Just digging being there. I, I, I think I really sort of discovered that I kind of liked the kitchen vibe, you know. I, I liked uh, I liked being in a kitchen. I liked the I liked the sort of the the, the pace. I you know, it, you know, we're talking about you know I'm I'm a hyperactive guy. I think I I tend to like you know frenetic energy in yeah. general. You know, I, and that I just, was frenetic. And I mean, exciting. I'm very you know. I go to a countryside. I can appreciate the beauty. I, I and I love you know meeting people and the slower pace of the way you chat with people. But you know, the slow pace drives me insane. And did you start to realize, you know, Robert Parker tells that story about being in France and drinking that wine and, like, his whole head exploding. Did right. you start to realize hey, this hits me differently than it hits the guys I hang around with, you know, that I'm relating to food differently? Or did you just not think about it? It just ha- like was. I don't think I really thought about it that much. And I think that I think I knew enough from watching the way the kitchen worked that I don't think at that time I was ready to be a chef. Because I was freaked out about it a little bit. I mean, I think I knew that it was going to be really, really hard. Um, it also wasn't exactly sexy. You know, in, in 2014, and you're a senior in high school, and you say, you know, I think I want to be a chef. And everybody goes, oh, that's so wonderful. You know, are you going to go to the CIA? What are you going to do? But in, in 1981, they're like, oh, yeah, it's, I'm so sorry to hear about your son, right. Ivan. <laughs> Meaningful. <laughs> I think you're doing like, right. It's not an elevated, back then it wasn't an ele- elevated thing. There wasn't the food channel. Not the for a Jewish channel. kid from the unincorporated town of Oyster Bay. 
Right. Although Cove. to give Cove, Cove, Cove. Cove. Al- although Cove. to give my parents credit, I think they would have they would have supported me. I don't. They, my parents were not snobby. So you didn't give voice to it at that time. Hey, I want to be a chef. No, no, no. You know, all my friends were going to college. By the way, I mean, I barely graduated college. I mean, high school. I mean, I gra- you know, I was like, you know, I was I was two two students, you know, from from not passing. But you went off to college. I did. I went off to several colleges. <laughs> <laughs> and and we, what happened when you went to college? Well, I first went to the for the college for dumb kids because I couldn't get into any. So I was like went to like remedial. You like, have to do well studying things that are really high school level, and then we'll let you take college courses. And I hated it, and so I bailed after six months. Well, what did you think about yourself? I always want to know this when people who are, are bright are bad at school. Did you? Uh, did you view it as like some kind of a judgment on your own intellect or were you able to hold on to the idea, hey, um, I'm actually smart and crafty. I can figure stuff out there. This system doesn't work for me. Or did it did it, uh, you know, or did it feed on something bad for you? Like, well, how did you process it? I don't think I've ever felt that great about myself right. until least, I mean, in the last 10 years. I mean, I don't really know. I mean, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I, a little, I mean, I think know. I've been I've been I've been, you know, a, a relatively happy person because I'm I'm just sort of like, a, you know, I, I just sort of plod through life and I don't really worry that much about stuff. But I mean, I, I really think that, you know, generally speaking from the people that, you know, look at me, I was, you know, I, I you know, I was just sort of getting by on stuff and I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to be a doctor. I wasn't going to be a lawyer. I wasn't, you know, I did everything right. But I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily this. Yeah, but so but it did cause you to have some self. Uh, that's what I'm asking. Absolutely. You had self doubt. Yes, because I was always like, you know, everybody would say, "Well, what do you want?" That's Ivan, and that was the, uh, you know, that's how it was until just ten years, ten ago. years ago, so, which my mother denies. But you know, I say, look, you know what? But I'm saying, but you actually internalized it because some people have the ability to go like. Um, Somehow they have the ability to kind of get become bulletproof about it, but you didn't. You're saying it it would land for you, and you would wonder what's the matter with Ivan too. Well, I, I don't know if I matter what was wrong with Ivan as much as I just took that as the as that was the cardinal truth. Oh, right. You know, I mean, I necessarily I still have always done what I wanted to do. I mean, even this whole you know going to Colorado and going to school there and then moving to Japan. Afterwards well, let's take it slower. And, so you decided you're going to colleges, which isn't really working for you. Well, I mean, you know, look, once again, we go back to my era because I'm, yes. I'm, I'm old, you know, uh, sort of. So to me, I think going to college just was sort of what made sense. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't even that my parents were like, oh, if you don't go to college, it'll be a disaster. My dad said, if you don't go to college, you don't have to. I could help you start a business if you want to. You know, there's a certain amount of money, you know, for school or for something else. But, you know, I wanted to go to school. And so, you know, I went to uh, the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut, which, you know, people still don't want to go anywhere near Bridgeport. Sorry. For those of you in Bridgeport, uh, I took a, took a semester off. I worked, and then went to the, the Nassau Community College, which was a great school, by the way. And I was a total rock star because I was smarter than everybody else. I mean, it was, it was, it was, first it was, time you realized it for yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, I, and I worked. I worked hard. I was sort of really motivated to get out. I didn't want to live with my parents. I didn't, you know, I wanted to get out. At that time, did you start to? Were you still thinking about? Food and cooking? No, or, no, no, you just didn't know. You're gonna finish no, school. No, I didn't know. I just went. You know, I took my classes. I got, I got like straight A's. I had like a 4.0 or something, and um, and then I just, I was then, and then the only thing that was motivating me after that was I wanted to go to a college that offered Japanese. You why? Well, I think part of it was I failed French and I had to take a foreign language credit. Yeah, but Japanese <laughs> is harder, right? So, <laughs> so I chose. So I looked. I, I only applied to schools that had. Japanese, and I only applied to two schools. I applied to like the University of Arizona because it's warm, and I, you know, and I applied to the University of Colorado Boulder because it was supposed to be 
one of the grooviest, most beautiful. You go have a great time. Yeah. So, so you uh, you go out to Colorado, and then then I went to Japan, taught English, which I knew right away wasn't for me. Um, I couldn't. I, I like teaching, and I'm good. So at this teaching, was the but, first real Japan sojourn. Was yeah. when, after college? I graduated college, and I was like, I just spent four years studying a foreign language. I can't imagine not going to live there. It doesn't make sense. And I had a friend. I had a bunch of friends all going, and I was just like, I'm, you know, I'm going to Japan. But I'm, I'm, I'm interested in in how you, the building block started, so that when you made the crazy decision to just open your own joint there, right? It was like built on a bunch of stuff, even well, if it wasn't conscious. This, like, even if you weren't preparing consciously, you did must well, have prepared I think, unconsciously. I think what happened was that I lived in Japan, um, and so I ate out a lot, and I ate, you know, I ate sushi, and I ate, you know, uh, ate a lot of ramen. I got really into ramen. Um, so I ate a lot of ramen back back before the ramen boom. So this was ramen was really more like just sort of a, more of a, a lowbrow, low profile. Did you thing. love it when you first had it there? I love it. And I was going to go into how, you know, ramen was one of the only things that was not around in the States until recently. So there was only like the crummy ramen you would get. Yeah, but that's not and that's not ramen, right. Really. So, you know, I went back to the States and I lived in Japan in America for, you know, 12 years after my first stint in Japan. And you could find uh, sake bars and you could find yakitori places. And, you know, Japantown was already sort of coming together. So there was a bunch of different things you could you could find to eat. But ramen was the only one that you couldn't get, you know. So I think that I got like sort of over the years, I was like, you know, I'm just craving ramen for years and years and years and years. And when I got a craving for yakitori or for uh, some good sake or like izakaya, I, there was an izakaya I used to go to, you know, once a month. It was my favorite place. It was very authentic. There was all kinds of little griddled fish and right. tofu and all kinds of stuff. But there was no ramen. So you come back to the States. Now, had you made the decision, I'm not going to be a teacher. I'm going to go be a cook? I know. I, I had met my first wife right. and... She, she, she had, we had met, kind of fell for her, but I fell for her as she's my student preparing to move to California. To open in Japan. Company. Yes. And then she left for like, so for six months or a year we were separated and it was sort of weird and I didn't know where we were at and everything. And then I, I, I got a job with her company in Japan, but this is right when the whole bubble burst and the whole economy in Japan was starting to What kind to of tank. job was it? It was selling computer components. Which to this day, I still don't know what any of them were or how they worked. Good, you must they, have been great at it. It was just horrible. It was the, it was the, I've had so many jobs in my life. It was, it was hands down the worst job I've ever had in my life. And, and I'm trying to like get this woman to fall in love with me while I'm a total bumbling idiot. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't, they'd be like, oh, you need to sell, you know, a million DRAM. And I'm like, what the? Is a DRAM. I mean, at least now I, I kind of un- basically understand how those, those those things work. But back then, I mean, it was just I didn't even get a computer until you know ten years after that. So, so you get the job, right? You're and terrible at it. Terrible and- at it. And then, but, but my, the the original job was going to be sort of the the guy Gene Lackey of the president, and I would teach a couple English classes, and I would right. hang out at the office, and I would do some sales with him. And then you know the economy started tanking, and he said, you know, uh, why don't you go work with Tommy in, in San Francisco. So I went there and I sort of showed up and just assumed we would live together and we were going to, you know, and she was like, well, you know, why, why are you like living in my apartment? And I'm like, um, like, aren't we a couple? So that was, that's, a, that's another right. whole story. But we were, you know, but we, we, so we, I sort of did this job kind of half-assed for, you know, a, a year or so. And then finally I was just, you know, I was sort of 
talking to my dad on the phone, and I was sort of tearfully, you know, saying, I just don't know what I want to do, and I'm, you know, miserable, and I'm, and my father got very angry, and it was like, you know, you know, you, you know, you're, you're 28 or 29 years old, and you, you need to get your together, and these are, these are, these are the kinds of things that when you're a man, you deal with. And, um, so I did, and I thought a lot about it. I actually put some real thought into what I should do. And then I called my parents and I said, you know, I think I think I should go to cooking school. And they said, you know, or, 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 or as my mother now says, yeah. that's not how it happened at all. We called you and we said, right. we think you should go to cooking school. And I said, okay, so I don't know. Well, you know. You're how old? I'm 51. No, at that moment. At that though. time, 28 or 29. All right. So you're 20, 28, 29, you're like, that's it. I'm, I'm going to, and you're not married. I'm not married, but I'm living with my girlfriend, and um, at this point, we're close enough that what I do, she's going to stick with me. So I apply to the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America, and I get in, yeah. um, and she, you know, quits her job, and we, you know, we drive across the country. We we live in my parents' summer house in Saugerties, and I commute to the CIA, and I go to the CIA, and then, you know, halfway through, we get married. Um, and and then, you're 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 getting you're really learning how to cook. I'm really learning how to cook. Did you did it, did it, did you like it right away? Yeah, you know I hate school. Right, I yeah. still hate school. Yeah, that's and what I, I'm saying. I, did, I was I wondering if it's different because you were really interested in what they were no, talking I did, about. No, I did horribly at the CIA. It was just a, it was just a horrible experience, and everybody hated me, and I hated everybody. And you know uh, this is super. <laughs> I know that there's people listening who are like so psyched because you know the fact is that you end up this super successful person doing something you love. So the fact that school still was miserable. For I you, liked though. I liked school, but. First of all, I, I, don't, I don't like when anybody tells me what to do in right. general. I mean, I yeah. can handle it in the kitchen, but it, it was just – I just didn't quite – like I, my, my, my buddy Dave, who's you know does Slurp Shop with me, and, and, and he he has all his notes, okay? I don't even have a piece of paper with my name on it related to the Culinary Institute of America. He's got all – Oh, he's got all his notebooks. He's got all notebooks from the CIA. You know, he he can go and say, "Wait, let me check that sauce." He remembers every teacher. He remembers like what they learned. He remembers the whole. And I'm, I I remember that I went to a school in Hyde Park, and that's that's where it ends. That's what you got. That's what I got. I got nothing left. And he has like, uh, well, no, that stock should be uh, have this much everything. Salt in it. He, he quotes professors. He says, remember when they said? I'm like, no. No, I don't remember anything. I, don't, I, don't, I remember like little wisps of things. You know, I didn't get along with my classmates. They all hated me because they were all like. Why? I don't know why. Because, well, first of all, when I go off on a riff, I really go off on a riff. But, I mean, I was like, I think it all started. I, I don't know. They were all just, they weren't, I'm sure they were fine. But, they, but it all they, started they how? Very, you said it all started. They, saw, they all started when I was reading the New York Times. And it's like, you know, the the Soviet Union is crashing and, 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 and Gorbachev's doing all this shit. And I, like, there's a verge of possible like war all over Europe, and I'm like, I'm like, look what's going on? It's unbelievable. And they're like, oh, shut up, man. It's just don't who cares. And I was like, man, you are a bunch of Neanderthals. What is your? Do you, do you know how to read? Do you want me to help you? I can I can sit with That's you after great. class and and help you go through the alphabet, you know. And and of course, right. so and of course, it was, ah, you know, so, you thought you were better than them, and they didn't appreciate that. I didn't think I was better than them. I was just surprised that they engaged. didn't care about the world. I was like, you know. <laughs> okay, good. good. I was like, you don't care about the world. You're an Well, was Dave one of those classmates? Yes. But okay. he was in the other, like, group, and, and I don't think we had as much contact. So, but, uh, and, and, I, and, and, and in retrospect, you know, I'm sure I was wrong and horrible. But, but, but you know. But, so you, are you cooking at this time also in rest? Are you? No, no, just, just working at, just, you know, just working at the CIA. Um, and I, I got an externship, you know, where, the, where you go off for a semester and you work in a real restaurant. 
Um, and I got hired at uh, at uh, Mesa Grill. Um, Bobby with, Flay, with Bobby right? Flay, and back when when he was just becoming like a superstar, he was it was like a, it was like the first year a year. What did you get hired as a line cook? I yeah, I did actually. I got right. a, I got a, I got a real job. They gave me a real. It was a really great. I mean, I have to say that more than this, being at the Culinary Institute of America, Mesa Grill was where I really sort of found sort of got an identity about cooking because. Um, it was a kitchen where everybody was my around my age. You know, I was early 30s. Everybody else was early 30s, but obviously much more experienced cooking than me because they, they were all real professional cooks, and I was just a student. Um, but they were all very they were all very nice. It was it was we were one of the most popular restaurants in New York. Um, busy all the time, you know, uh, and, and well reviewed. You were working at a you were kind of working at one of the centers of cool food in New right. York. Yes, at the it time. was it was really good. And I got a station. You know, I was doing cold, hot and cold apps, and you know, I even got to work the grill and the saute station a couple times. And and uh, and you know, when it was when it was my station, it was my station. And you were happy to work the crazy. What kind of hours was that? Yeah, it was whatever. Yeah. 14 hours well, a people day. don't know, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was hard. You're, 14 hour days, cutting there. Burned, cut, greasy, you know, eyes full of salt and grease. And, and are you liking it? I loved it. I loved it, but, you know, I, I was never... The really great line cooks to me are the ones that have something I don't really have, and they just can keep... It's, it's, just, it's just an endless... Endless thing. It's it's like that they can keep cranking it out and like uh, just, the same and, thing over and, yeah, and over. And in a busy and in a busy New York restaurant, it, it never you know at five thirty the doors open. You're just getting hammered until midnight or one o'clock in the morning, and you can just keep going. And and I just you know I'm first of all I'm not a night guy. I'm not a I'm not a I'm not like a boys boy. So you know I didn't you know I had a, I had a wife at home. I didn't really want to like you know go out. You know when I finished work, I wanted to go home. I didn't you know I didn't want to go out drink until you know a lot of a lot of cooks you yeah, know it's famous. They go out and they eat and then they drink and then they get home at six and then they sleep and then they come back and they do it all over again. And I never I was never that into that kind of lifestyle. I you think. just like being there and cooking. I like being there cooking. I think if you like that whole scene, then I think the line cook scene gets even more fun because you're sort of you blow off your steam afterwards. Because the responsibilities don't exist until you show up, right? And right. then you're, you have all that response. You have to do your thing, and then you can leave it behind, right? And then you go and, and then you yeah, go it party takes a, a little certain bit kind of discipline. And, and, and where it's like being a studio musician or something, as yeah. opposed to like the leader of a band, right? Yeah. You so come I, in. Yeah. So I mean, I, I liked it. I, I always sort of. I mean, I wish I actually, you know, I went from Mesa Grill, then I got a job at Lutes. Which was great at the time. One of the best restaurants. One of the, in the best country. restaurants in the country. It was a really great place to be. Um, again, worked with really great cooks, and uh, it was great. I learned. I learned a lot about business and about how restaurants, you know, function and um, and all that. And did you at this point have your first child? Um, I had my first child in. Uh, yeah, although I think when Isaac was born, I was already at Restaurant Associates, which was sort so, of a different vibe. So what happened? So you go from because I'm I'm really interested. You go from the from Lutes, right? Well, then I did a couple little gigs here and there. I worked at like the Judson Grill when John Villa was there for a little while. And so you're working like, in the coolest restaurants, and suddenly, I mean, I would say just knowing that you got one of those jobs after the other. Unlike in these academic areas of your life or the teaching, like obviously something was clicking at this. Right. Whereas the people around you right. would recommend you. They you were you must have been started to get recognized as like, oh yeah, Ivan will do the job. Right. Well, I mean, I had a good, I had a great resume. Right. I'm yeah, saying that must have worked resume. well for you. Yeah, absolutely. Because you were doing this thing that you gave a shit about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I'm, I'm not, look, I've never gotten not gotten a job that I that I interviewed for ever. Right. I mean, you know, if I wanted the job, I've always gotten it. It was just, um, I think that, you know, the reality of being in my 30s and having a, a pregnant wife, which is where I was at when I, when I switched to 
the corporate dining thing. And so you made a decision to be a response. You, you, you had a wife who was pregnant and you decided you weren't going to do this line cook thing. I just couldn't afford to do That's what I'm saying, because yeah, you don't get just, paid a lot in those jobs, no. in the beginning especially. You know, two, three hundred dollars a week or something, it's just... To work 14-hour days. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, it just, it didn't even matter. I didn't mind working the hours. It was just, the, the take-home pay was just too small. So you're in your mid-30s. Right. And you um, take this, you take a job working for like a, a hotel? No, I went, went to Restaurant Associates, uh, which is... Uh, you know, they run food services, you know, for Condé Nast, right. for, you know, uh, um, Goldman Sachs, all these different things. I got a job uh, making a very nice, a pretty big, like a, a real salary. You know, I was making real money. I had an expense account. I had, you know, I had uh, paid holidays and sick days. I and had what was insurance. your title? I was an executive chef. And, and did you think you were like strapping in that this is basically going to be your life for a while? Yeah. Uh, you were going to be happy to earn this great salary, benefits, and all that stuff, and then I know tragedy like struck your life, right? right. Yeah, no, it was great timing. You know, my wife, my wife died. She got, you know, she was pregnant with our second child and came home from a from her job. She was she had like a trade show at, at the Javits Center, and she she got a cold or something, and then she didn't feel well, and um, and the obstetrician I think would just I don't know. It was incompetent, and you know, instead of seeing her right away, waited too long, and 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 she and anyway, she ended up dying like in three days of toxic shock, and lost the baby. It all happened, you know. She came home sick on a Tuesday, dead on a Saturday. So you know, it was uh, it was pretty fast. I mean, it's just in like uh, just indescribably brutal. Yeah, no, it was pretty brutal. How old was Isaac? Two. See, so you have a. Two-year-old son, right? Out of nowhere, your wife, who you moved around the world for, and who moved across the country for you, t- dies. Right. You're thirty, whatever, five yeah, years 35, old, thirty-five, thirty-six, and you, uh, and you have this child that you have to take care of. Right. I can't even. I mean, how did you? How did you like? Uh, how did you grieve and move forward at the same time? What'd you do? Well, I mean, you know, I was I was at a good job because most restaurants, no matter how compassionate they are, you know, it's kind of hard to just have someone stop working for you know a while. I was working at Restaurant Associates. They just said, they said, don't come back until you're ready, you know. So I took I took four or six weeks off. I you know sort of got my together a bit. You know, I had my parents were living down the block. I was in Park Slope. They were living on Montgomery Place. I was on First and, and the Park. So I had a lot of support. I have a very good family. I was very lucky. You know, I have a... You stayed in the same house you were in? Stayed in the same house, you know. So stayed in the same house and, and, and sort of just did my thing in that, you know. I have two sisters were and, and their husbands. Did you have to just approach being a dad in a different way suddenly? I mean, did it? Did the responsibility freak you out? Well, you know, when like that happens, you know, I don't think you think too much about it. I mean, I wasn't... I mean, I think I was really happy that, that Isaac was there. Um, it gave me a sure. lot of purpose, you know. I mean, I don't, to me, you know, I felt like giving up. And yet every time I felt like giving up, I'd look at him and he was just the cutest little thing in the whole world. And, and you know, it was just had to figure it out and be strong. There's no, 
you know, you have to be strong. It's easy to be weak if, if no one's counting on you. But, you know, a lot of people would just cash in at that moment, too, and sort of use it as an excuse to, to give in, right? I wonder. I mean, human beings are f***ed up some, that way. Yeah. You know? Some so, people you know. use it. You otherwise to use all, it as like— We'd all be killing ourselves, right? You just let yeah. I me mean, have a lousy day and boom. I mean, I'm, I mean I'm, every once in a while, I'm like, you know what? It. I'm just going to kill myself, you know, but I'm, um, yeah, but there's not, not enough money right now. My wife won't yeah, pay no, all those bills have, and yeah, three what kids, am I going to so. do? I got kid, I got all right, whatever, I won't. So it's good that you didn't kill yourself. No. That would have been way worse for Isaac. Yes, Horrible. Much worse. Um, much worse. So you decide to go back to, you go back to work. Yeah, well, the job, like I said, you know, this was um, a good job. It was just incredibly fortuitous because I worked in a job that had great benefits um, and very compassionate people. And they just, you know, they said, they said, we got your back. And they always did. And even when I came back, you know, originally my hours were, you know, six to two or three. They said, you know, start whenever it works for you and your kid. And so I started at, you know, eight or nine instead and was able to, so, you know, they just, they were always, you know, terrific about it. So you're there uh, and you somehow pick yourself up and go to work every day. Yes. And were you ever able, did work let you forget it for periods of time, or was it like ever-present, this whole thing? Well, you know, grief grief is, uh, you know, now it's been whatever. It's been like oh, sure. 16 years. So, and I mean, a lot of things have happened since then, you know. Um, so it's sort of a one-day-at-a-time thing. And, you know, like I said, I had a kid, and yeah, you... I have friends and family. And you, at some point, you sort of, I mean, I don't know how everybody, I, you know. And listen. I remember, you know, talking to my wife about one of us dying and we did wills and I remember imagining if she died, I would just, I would have to kill myself and I, I, right. I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to live without her. And then she died and I lived without her. <laughs> I, knew you had, I mean, you had to, you know, you, you figured you, it out. You, you do what you're going to do. And, and I'm, 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 you know what, I'm, I'm a pretty powerful person. I never realized, you know, this, I mean, the, the messed up thing about her dying was that, you know, her dying is what sort of made me change and I think that was the made the, you change in what way well I think I was always a follower and I've thought a lot about this I mean I think I was a I was a real I've always been a follower I've always been comfortable letting other people take responsibility for things or be the lead or make decisions and I always sort of follow behind and then I was always myself so I would you know do whatever I want and sometimes I'm goofy and sometimes annoying or loud or whatever it was and people would say well you know that's just how Ivan is Ivan's that way and I guess I'm I'm loyal enough and endearing enough or whatever that I've always maintained my friendships and my relationships but I think that there was always something missing in me and I think that when she died I, I had to become a, a leader because I had a kid and, um, you know, I had to make decisions and I didn't, you know, one of the things people don't realize, and I have friends who aren't married and I'll say, you know, you really should have a partner. You know, I don't care, gay, straight, whatever, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Marry, don't marry, but you, you need a partner. It's really important. I, I'm an advocate of marriage just because I think it, it locks it all down. But, you know, when you're married, you don't realize how much you rely on that person's advice and that you, you come home and you, 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 you lay things out or you describe things or you're going to do something and they, they say, you know, I think that's a really bad idea or that's a really good idea or whatever. And it, and it, it really shapes your decisions. And, and so when that person's all of a sudden gone, all of a sudden, you know, you don't, you know, and then I'm raising a kid by myself and I'm very proud. So, you know, and at the end of the day, my parents are great. But like, once again, of course, I, I don't have this Jewish grandmother mom who, you know, slept on a cot. No, you had and, to do and, it. You, know, you had to really be I there for your to, son. And you had to do your job. And like you couldn't allow yourself to slack off in any right. of these areas suddenly. Right. I mean, the Ivan who maybe had some pride in being, you know, some kind of a f you couldn't be like there just wasn't on the table anymore. Right. No. And um, 
And at the end of the day, when you have a kid, no matter how nice everybody is, they, you know, when they go home, they're gone. And my mom told me this too, you know, once, once, you know, once a month or two or three goes by, all the people that are thinking about you all the time and calling and sending you lasagnas and chocolate and all, they, they, they forget and they go on to their lives. Not because it's, they're not nice people, but because it's just human nature. They move on to their you thing. You move on. And, at some and you're point, still there in the situation. And at some point, they, you know, they'll say to themselves, yeah, yeah, I'm sure Ivan's doing okay. I hope he's all right. But, you know, you can't, you know, for, for the, in the beginning, you know, you, you, you fuss. And um, I got a lot of good advice from my parents. And I think I, you know, I realized that I had to figure this stuff out on my own. But I think... That day when all that stuff happened is when I started moving on this new path, you know. Right. You mean that's that's what set the course to becoming Ivan Rahman in a way. Yes. And then I and then the next one was when I met my, my current wife. Right. So you're you're so so you know, so my my wife dies and I'm living in Park Slope with my son and, and sort of figuring things out. And then after a couple of years, you know, I'm I'm coming yeah, out sure. of it a little bit and I start to date again and you know, I'm hanging out and I'm doing all this stuff. But you still haven't made, I just want to say, you still haven't at this time made your own food thing, right? You still haven't come up with, like, um, I have a unique vision for not, what. Not even close. Right. And I wouldn't until I went. That's what I'm saying. You Japan. weren't even thinking about it. No. Okay. So but I don't think about that much. I just do I understand things, you do things. I yes. do things. But, but you know. So you're, you're there, you start dating and you meet. So I go on a trip back to Japan and... A mutual friend says, I have a friend in Tokyo. She has a son. She just split from her guy. And you guys should meet. And it wasn't, I don't think it was really meant to be a date because, you know, I live in New York and she lives in Tokyo. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm a big on chemistry guy. And I have been dating. And I dated a couple of really great girls, you know, really smart. Like on paper, it was like, boy, this is ridiculous. Yeah. She's, she's brilliant. She's, you know, funny. She's got, a, she's got a great job. She's very wealthy, whatever. There were a couple of girls that, that, that you know, on paper, I just I, – I could have married them because it was so great. And yet the chemistry thing just wasn't there for me. And I just can't – you know, I can't do stuff without chemistry. And so I, I, I met my current wife, Madi – in in a, like we met up in this park in yeah. in Tokyo and and I thought she was really cute and my the kids really uh, you had Isaac along. with you and she had yes, her son and she had Alex with her and they just Alex was in love with Isaac it was it was, it was less Ivan and Marty love at first sight it was Alex and Isaac love at first sight Alex's first word, words were you know I want to see you know Isaac and they were just, he was so enamored of of my guy. And, What's their age difference? Uh, four years. And so, you know, the day that was supposed to be a date, we ended up having lunch. Then I said, then we hung out until the sunset. Then I said, well, you know, she said, well, you want to come back to my place? And I said, yeah. And we went and I bought all this stuff and I cooked her dinner and I ended up staying over. And then I ended up staying at her house for like the rest of the week. And then, and it was weird because my parents were in Japan on a trip at the same time coincidentally and went to this really weird dinner. Where my it was my all my my first wife's old friends had this little dinner that and, and they had invited my parents and me and of course I decided you bring Marty I'm going to bring Marty with me <laughs> talk wow. about someone who doesn't think about anything wow that is clueless well because I'm just, <laughs> that's just totally clueless well I'm like she's cool I finally met a girl I like you know right. so I don't you yeah know. <laughs> yeah where you guys stop sending lasagna I mean that's three my months anyway. you know that's my that's my little you know my little mantra is you know you can go. Yourself, which has gotten that's me very into humanist, tremendous that's very humanistic and beautiful. Been in that's lots really, of trouble. Put that above. That. That's like what's the hard rock one? <laughs> what is the hard rock has like peace, 
love, whatever theirs is, yours yeah, is, yeah. yeah. So what what happens from there with yeah, you so, and Marty? So I went. So I go back home. We had we had our five or six seven day thing. I go back to Japan, to America. We're talking on the phone, and I'm and I'm like, you know, this is crazy. I can't stop thinking about this girl. And I said to my friend, who's like a very bold guy, who's always gotten into more trouble than I've ever gotten into for doing whatever he feels like doing, but. And I said, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. I can't, you know, I, I think she's great, but she's in Japan, so I can't do it, right? And he's like, why the hell not? People f- get in planes and go places all the time. It's it's a new millennium. And I'm like, you're right. And so I, you know, I just said, I'm coming to Tokyo. This is a week later. I go to my boss, who is a total bitch, and I hate her. But uh, um, um, I said to her, you know, um, I can go back to Tokyo. Why? What do you mean you have to go? You've been gone for a week. I said, yeah, I got to go back. I got some unfinished business I have to fix. I said to my mom, I'm going back to see Madi. My mother's like, that's ridiculous. I forbid it. I will not watch Isaac. Really? Yeah, she said, I will not watch Isaac. I just can't condone that. It doesn't make any sense. And I said, okay, go f*** yourself. And I got someone to watch Isaac. And and I think I, I think they actually relented. And I'm w- sure that watched they did. Him yeah. at, the, at the very last minute. And I'm sure by now they told you they told you go back and give no, me. No, they didn't. They didn't actually. But yeah, so I went back and I met her parents and met her brother and like did this whole thing. I was there for a week and I met her whole family. And then uh, a month later, then from there she planned a trip. She came to to New York to meet you know my whole family and everything. And and to, and then you know half three quarters of the way through the trip, she's like, so. Are we getting married or are you just f***ing around? Because, you know, you, you're marrying me or not? And wow. I, I hadn't said anything yet, even though it was already sort of unspoken uh, yeah. that we were going to get together. But I was still a little bit scared and it was a big step and everything. And finally she was just like, she was like, you know, put the cards on the table, bucko. What are you up to? And I was like, I was like, I want to get married. So she said, okay, then let's get married. So then that was in July. So we, we, we decided that she would come back a month later and we would get married. And she came back so and she, she moved back. here. She brought all her She shut down her apartment. She sold all her stuff. She packed up some boxes and she flew back And here. was she working? Yeah. She had her own company. She had really good. She was very, she was like pretty famous. You know, she doing what? Uh, interior styling before and after TV shows, magazine shoots. Right. She was sort of on an ascendancy. And, and she came here. She came. And, and it ends up being key because she ends up obviously when you go back well, to Japan. So here was this tell story. Tell yeah. She... She's the first person. Now she's you've got to remember, she's meeting the new Ivan, not the old Ivan. Right. She's meeting she's the, the first person who person, put every who's like, I'm putting this on my back. She's the first person to ever really meet the the new and and, and I'm I'm not really not I've never become the new Ivan. I'm still the old Ivan, really. But 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 No 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 yes, but I know what you're saying. You're saying that that, that she is not seeing the guy who sort of defined himself as a guy who can't handle stuff. You're right. You're a guy who's taken on this giant responsibility. And by the way, you were a go-getter. You flew back there. You've right, done this thing. Right, right, So she says what to you? So she says, it doesn't matter what you do. You're going to be really famous and really successful. And it was like no one has ever said anything like that to me. And she still says it. But she said that to you in America. In America. When you're working that job uh yeah, or maybe right after we moved or right before we moved. I can't remember exactly But I'm saying she when. says it to but, you but, but, before but, there's any outward evidence of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, this was long before Ivan Raman. And so then well, how, does you, how do you guys get back to Japan? Well, so we go. This was a nice trip. So we went. We finally, it was like in, I, was, I was quitting my RA job. I got rid of that job. 
and or I was either in between jobs or I was I can't remember exactly what, but we we decided to go on a trip back. She had a little job. I think her green card thing had finally sort of something happened. She could leave the country. We flew back to Japan, and I was sitting with both boys um, in front of a Starbucks. In a, in a famous town where there's beautiful cherry blossoms running down the center of the city, the famous boulevard. And it, it was right at the peak of cherry blossom season. What town? Uh, Kunitachi. And it was so amazing because I, I don't know if, if for anybody who's ever been to Japan when the cherry blossoms are in full bloom, I and mean, it's just, it's, it's really a, a transformative kind of feeling. It's, just, it's crazy. It's a really crazy feeling. And I was like, I, I gotta come back. I just, I gotta live here again. And, you know, I said to my wife, I go, you know, I want to move here. I want to move back. And, and she was like, and she, she looks at me, she goes, that's fine. If you want to move back, I'll move back. But you have to understand that you'll probably never live in the United States again. This is it. This is like a one-shot deal. Right. Because you're never going to be able to, how are you just going to be able to quit your job and just move back again to the United States when you're 50 years old? So if you are willing to, like, never live in America again, then... Let's go. How right. old is Isaac? At the time? Yeah. Six or seven. Right. So you're, you, you decide, okay, I'm doing it. Right. But you don't know what job you're going to have. Well, she had a great right. job. Like she has a great job. I didn't that's have what I, to work. She right. had a great job. So she has a great gig, and you're not going to work for the first couple. You're going to look after the kids. I'm going to look after the kids. And then, of course, now you think my parents were pissed off that I was marrying <laughs> someone that I had met uh, you know, a week earlier. You know, Then I'm like, we're leaving. And my whole family's like, what do you mean you're leaving? My sister was furious. They were really pissed at me, and I was like, you know, they were very angry at me. They but something like, about Japan just felt like yeah. home to you in a different way at that time. I, you know what? My gut was this was it. That was it. This was my chance. I was tired of the job I had been in for seven years. The few jobs I had interviewed in, I didn't like. I wasn't sure, like, you know, what exactly I wanted to do in the food business. Um, and, and I just felt like, you know... Dude, I, you probably just needed to stop for a minute. That's probably true, too. Right? I mean, you'd gone and... Get, no, like, there was a lot of pressure. You know, my poor wife, you know, she was sort of living in this house with all my, my dead wife's belongings still all over the place. And uh, everybody kept calling her, you know, Tommy instead of Madi, and, they, were, and they, would, they wouldn't even realize it. And it was a lot. It was really hard for her. You know, it, it was really good for our marriage to leave. I think it was just, you know, it was good to just go fresh and get out. And nobody knew us where we were. And um, it, it was good. It was really, it was really good. It was, very, it was a very much of a renewal kind of thing. And, 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 and you come back and you don't... You don't go to work right away. Not for three years. So what happens? More. Three years. Three years. Three, taking care years, of the kids, yeah. cooking dinner at night. Doing... And then I, I'd help my wife. I would help her. You know, she, I would drive her around in the car. We got a car. I would drive her around. She would. She would have to get like props. She would go to these prop shops and pick up props for photo shoots. And um, I started doing some of my own TV. Um, I, I made Ivan's Kitchen. I made my my first company was Ivan's Kitchen. I was teaching uh, mostly Japanese housewives and then some women from the foreign community. And I was teaching, you know, cooking. And were you going out and eating ramen? Yeah, we were we were obsessed. That, That's so where it all started. So what happened? So so my wife. So we had this thing called the ramen navi. So in Japanese, they call navigation devices navis. And so you know, on the little flip phones, my wife would go, and there was like a site, and you could look up, you know, rated ramen shops. And so we would be driving around, going to these prop shops, and doing all these little chores. And so we would get hungry, and I would say, "Oh, well, let's go. You know, why don't you look up on the navi?" And she would look look up on the navi, and we would go seek out these ramen shops. And so we started eating a lot of ramen. And, and, you know, we were eating it. And, and this was like right when the ramen boom was starting. This is like 2003. 
you know, 2004, the ramen thing is starting to, you know, get sort of popular, and there's more and more of these really good shots. And I think it's important and, to point out you're 40 years old because of its that, and and not yet um, by conventional terms like. Uh, you hadn't made it yet. Not no. Yet by conventional terms of success, you hadn't even started no. officially. Nothing, yeah. And would you watch, I mean, the, their customs, can you just talk a little bit about, you know, each ramen chef does the noodles and broth and the delivery of them. They really think right about the temperature of everything. It's like a ritualized, isn't right. it? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's like anything in Japan. It's in Japan's an interesting place because, you know, and Americans like huge amounts of selection and really big menus and, you know, they want a, a lot, a lot of stuff. And in Japan, a lot of times, and I'm generalizing, of course, but, you know, a lot of shops in Japan focus on just one item or just three items, and then they do it really, really well. And that really excited me. I was very interested in that, you know, because because it works, because it kind of works, right? You go to you go to a place and you find a you know a rice cake. That's all they sell is rice cakes with three flavors, but they're they're unbelievably delicious. You wait in a line, you get it, you eat it. It's warm and delicious and chewy, and you're like, holy crap, this thing's so good. And the ramen shops are like, they make you know just. Uh, you know, a chicken and pork soup. They, you know, they do thin noodles. They do a piece of pork right. on so top. So one would and... do a certain kind of ramen. One would do tonkatsu ramen. Right. One would do right chicken uh, ramen. Others would just have dashi. Some would do a blend. Some whatever. You know, there was just different styles. Um, and, and you started like really getting into it. I started really getting into it. And I, I, I really liked how serious everybody was. We were really focused and and. And and yes, you know, eating ramen is you know, eating a bowl of noodles, especially in a, in a Tokyo ramen shop. Is you know, you sit down, you get your little bowl, you you inhale it, and there's nothing to really focus on except for the bowl of ramen. You know, and whereas you know, in, in a lot of restaurants, you know, there's sure. so much more to think about, there's so much more to focus on. And with a bowl of noodles, you know, you get that bowl, it plops down in front of you, and this is something Americans haven't quite figured out entirely. You know, you really get that bowl, you inhale it, and then you do your next thing. Right, you got to you know, inhale those noodles first before right. they. Before they get soft and wet and, and and mushy and all that, but but it's uh um it's it's a really it's a cool vibe that I I really got into and, and it was a lot of national pride around it right it was all uh, basically people would get real serious about their recipe and way to make their stuff yeah, and it was yeah. all Japanese yeah I mean and not not national pride because ramen is not really Japanese but it's but it's it's you know soba is more like that but uh but I, the the so the thing that really differentiates ramen from all the other things that they serve in Japan. Is that ramen? And to me, I, 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 yeah. I, I call it the maverick cuisine. It's the, it's one of the only things that have no rules at all. You know, sushi, tempura, right? You know, washoku, kaiseki. You know, French, Italian. They all have you know, you know, reams of books written about technique and how it's done and how you should do it and how to do it. And you know, everybody talks about it and they all know about it. But ramen, like each shop has its own little secret sauce or its own little thing they add to the soup that nobody else adds. And you know, you could you could waterboard them and they won't tell you what's in it. You know, and and it's and that's there. That's the thing. You know, and you, so no one really knows totally how they make things. And it's uh, but there weren't a lot of Americans who had ramen shops that were popular. Only me still. Right, that's what I'm saying. So you may say it wasn't a lot of nationalistic <laughs> Well, crowd, we're weren't... talking about one of the most homogenized countries in the world. I mean, you know, Japan's weird. There are no foreigners. I mean, there's there's everybody, you know, most foreigners, even, you right. know, uh, there's a lot of Koreans and Chinese. They look Asian. And white people, you know, there's like one-tenth of one percent or something. So, yeah, one, so the idea of, a, of, of somebody from here launching a ramen place... Was seen as odd, but let's get to it. So you're, you're home three years doing this stuff, and then how does this idea surface that Ivan 
from Long Island is going to open a ramen joint. Well, you know, I think I was just kind of bored. I wasn't doing much. I was like watching lots of TV on the internet and sitting around. And my wife was, and I guess maybe I was getting a little snappy and irritable and whatever. And my wife's like, you know, I think it's, she goes, I'm not going to tell you that you have to go like get a job, but I really think you should think about it because you don't, you know, you're a pain in the ass and you don't seem that happy and it's time for you to do something. Um, and so, you know, we, we thought about having, my wife's like, you know, let's, why don't we, why don't you open a restaurant? And we talked about a lot of different concepts and, um, but first of all, I'm an American. So it's the one kind of cuisine in the world that nobody in the world thinks is real. Even in 2014, you say a French guy, I'm, I'm going to make an American restaurant. You go, what's that? Pizza? Huh. You're going to huh. make a milkshake? You know, it's like, I mean, right now in 2014, yeah. they don't, no, one, no one gives you credit that you might actually take some local ingredients and take some French technique and some, some you know, things you learned from Denmark and some things are going on in China, you know, make some awesome food, they still think that it's kind of funny. You know, you've got French fries and, and hamburgers and pizza. So I couldn't, what I'm saying is that I, I couldn't really do a, an American regional cuisine concept. Because they wouldn't have known what that was. And it wasn't, by the way, it wasn't your obsession. And it wasn't my obsession. Well, and, and I didn't know that ramen was my obsession in a sense until my wife kept saying to me, why don't you open a ramen shop? And I was like, that's ridiculous. I said, how the, how the <laughs> hell am I going to make ramen? I don't know how to make ramen. She goes, it's okay, you'll figure it out. And I was like, I don't know, you know, and a few months went by where she kept sort of bringing it up and I was like, I don't know, you know, but then I just sort of one thing led to another. We did a little, we did some traveling, went to Europe. We went, you know, we hung out in New York for a while and, you know, I was just watching what all different people were doing and, and I just, you know, I just, you know what, you know, maybe I can do this. Um, maybe this would work, you know, and, you know, I, I should have just gotten a job in a ramen shop. I was going to ask, did you apprentice in a ramen shop? No. <laughs> <laughs> you just said, like, I can figure this out. And did you start making it at home? Did you do it as a pop-up? What did you do? I just made it at home. You so would I, just work on it, work on I it. Just, you know what? I, I, I was very, you know, it's funny. If you hang, once you get to know me and you're friends with me, I'm, I'm, I don't stop talking. I'm just, a, I'm a chatterbox and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm not shy and I say what's on my mind. But if I don't, if I'm not comfortable or if I don't know you very well, I can be quite reserved and shy. And the idea of like asking, I didn't want to, I didn't want to work in a ramen shop for a year because I was like in my mid forties already. And I'm like, you know what? I did my apprenticeship. I got beat up in lots of restaurants. I've, you know, I just, I don't want to go work for a year before someone teaches yeah. me how to make ramen. And I just, and coupled with my shyness about asking some guy, Hey, could I work for you? And my shyness about all of that, of, of how I was going to sort of fit into that noodle shop and I just couldn't I just couldn't get my head around where or how I would get that job and and then I would and then and then at the same time I found online I was like searching through all these Japanese websites and I found this uh, noodle making company and they sold noodle machines for restaurants and I was like hmm I was like that's cool and I like I watched the video and I was like call my wife and I said check this out this is pretty cool and and um, because, you know, something that had struck me during all this ramen eating over the last three or four years was that I would go to these shops where the soups were delicious and the chashu was delicious and the noodles tasted like crap. And I would say to my wife, well, I was like, I don't understand. It says like it's, it's a <coughs> bless you. It's like a, it's a noodle shop and yet the noodles don't taste good. I don't understand. It makes no sense to me, you know, and or I would have something really good and I would say these are good. And she said, well, they make their own noodles. And I'm like, why don't they have a big freaking sign that says they make their own noodles for God's sakes? You know? So I went to the, the world's ramen expo it was like the, the inaugural year or something. And so there's all these people that sell 
stuff to make ramen. There was, and most of it's no good. Ramen's a real junk food. So a lot of the companies involved with ramen shops, it's more fast casual. You know, they uh-huh. like, hey, Ivan, we, we make all the chashu for you. And we'll, all you have to do is slice it. And I'm like, oh, you weren't not interested in that. I was like, are you Man, Meaning man, the pork, man. they make the pork for you, yeah. whereas you wanted to season and cook your own pork. I make my own damn joshu. I don't, I don't need you to make meat for me, you know, and I'll make your own sauce. Like, I'll make the sauce. What's the point of having a ramen shop if right. you make everything for me? So you start to realize, hey, I, I see a way to do this. Yeah, and then I, so then I bump in, so I go to this ramen expo, and walking up and down, it's one of these big halls, and there's all these different things, and then I come across this guy. Who's he's kind of a bit of a crazy dude, and he's got this big crazy machine that 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 makes noodles, you know. And I'm like, and so it turns out they run a ramen school, so they're like, well, you know, the the the, the, the president, he was doing pretty well selling these these noodle machines, but a lot of the people that were buying the, the noodle machines were failing. And so he said, the guy, this guy is like, this guy in, in the dictionary where it says geek, he's got his face right, right next to him. Right. So, you know, he was like, I'm going to learn about the ramen business and I'm going to make a school. And it's going to teach people how to make the basic components of ramen and how to build a bowl. Six days long, 2500 bucks, And they were like, you know, it costs, it's going to cost you a lot of money to open a shop. You should do this. And then you'll know for sure whether or not you want to have a ramen shop. And so, you know, and seeing that I couldn't, you can't get any information. There's no books. There's no videos. There's so you nothing. Did? You went to ramen so school? So I, t- I went to ramen school. I went to a six-day ramen school. Um, they gave me some of these things that we made, and I made my wife a bowl of ramen, and she was like, this is crap. And she said, throw it in the garbage. She goes, she goes I don't want to see you trying to do something that somebody else does. She goes, go back there. And you figure it out for yourself. Madi's the hero of this whole story. She's the yeah. hero. So she's like, you'll figure it out yourself. You know, you don't have to have those people cooking for you. They don't know what the hell they're doing. You figure it out. And so for the next six months, I spent, you know, I had a big cookbook collection. I would sit in my little office and I read a lot of cookbooks and I made a lot of notes. And she'd be like, you're not doing anything. I'm, 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 I'm thinking. You know, I do a lot of thinking, which, you know, sometimes my wife, like, my, or my mother, she's like, why aren't you at work? I'm like, because I'm thinking. She's like, well, you, don't yeah. you need to go to work? I'm like, ma, I run a David company. Mamet I'm, says that know. about writing. He's like, writers have to go to some, an office somewhere because you spend so much time just, you know, that if your significant other sees you, they might confuse what you're doing for just sitting around the house doing nothing. Right. <laughs> so, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I do a lot of thinking, you know, and, I, and, and then, you know, and I, and I cook in my head a lot. So I cook. I always cook in my head. So then a lot of times when I cook, the first time I make it, it's right. But so I do it in my practice, head. You're thinking, you're planning. I'm thinking, and then I'm what planning. Happens? And then I made, I've made my first bowl of ramen. And my wife was like, this is great. She's like, I thought you weren't doing anything. I told you. I'm thinking. I was thinking. I was making a plan. You know? And I made my own noodles. And I had my little Italian, my little hand crank pasta machine I bought awesome. in Little Italy. And, and it was and great I, right away. I, was, I don't know. I, I, it, it needed work. But, but, but my first one out of the gate was well, that I did it myself. Was strong. It was like. It was pretty strong. She was, she was into it. And so you decide you're going to do this thing and open a shop? I decided to do this thing and open a shop, which was also complex because now I think ramen shops are a little more respected. But back in 2006 when I started this, ramen shops – you know, listen, ramen is not – you know, nowadays it's just like burgers in, in, in America, right? In, 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 19, in, in 1995 or something, if, if Danielle Ballou said, I'm going to open a chain of burger shops, they would say, oh, poor Danielle. I guess he went crazy. Well, Danny Meyer. But but Danny the, Meyer. but, but, but – um, but there were obsessive people about it and people writing about it so sure. that if you could do something incredible, 
because there were these geeks at the front of the movement, it would work in a well, way. Well, look, you know, by this time, I've, I've always been a student of many things. I'm a very, you know, intellectual about things. I like to study things a lot. And even though I was crappy at school, I'm really good at studying. I just have to study what I like. Sure. You know, and, and so I knew that, I mean, to me, I tell people now, even today, you know, chefs are really salespeople. I mean, they're good chefs because you have to make food that you know is good. You can't have someone else tell you, hey, go make that because it's good. I mean, of course, unless you work for someone, you have no choice. But, I mean, when you're a chef and you're running a kitchen and you're really making the food yourself, you make food that you know in your gut is good. And any any chef worth his salt in his gut knows if he's making something that's good. And, I mean, I know down to the last millisecond, whatever you want to call it, if something is good or bad. I, I, know, I can see everything that's right and everything that's wrong. And you know if you're sort of putting it on the menu even when it's not right or when you, or you're really proud and you know it works. And if someone says they don't like it, you say, you know what? Yeah. That's good. That's cool. But it's, yeah. Right. So to me, yeah. I knew that if I could get people to come in the door and try my food, that I was going to win. I told my wife, I said, I said look, we're going to be in the top 10. You watch. And she's like, you're crazy. And so you open the place. Right. And I just want to, because this is, you finally, after all these years, it's finally your own restaurant. Right. You call it Ivan Ramen. It's very cool because, you know, I've, I've always kept, I don't know if I wrote about this in the book, but I mean, this is the truth. And I still do this now, but I have, I always keep running, I have running lists in my head of things, you know. And so I always had a running list of, of restaurants and what, if I had a restaurant, what I would, would do and what I wouldn't do. And so, because people say, how would you, how did you know to open a ramen shop? And I was like, well, I didn't really open a ramen shop, I opened a restaurant. You know, I mean, I mean, everything is about repurposing things. I mean, my my ramen, in a way, is just repurposed delicious ingredients and to look like ramen. It's ramen, but it's and but you tell the story in the book that the guy who was what was the guy's name? Do you remember who was the big critic? About- yeah, Osaki-san. He he came to the restaurant downtown a couple months ago, and uh, and he's in, and and you know. Yeah, and so, when when he first came in, you were behind the counter, and I guess yeah. you were. You said in the beginning in the in the book, and tell me this is true that you were nervous not about the quality of what you were going to do. But about how this whole idea of this, you know, American kid opening this place was going to really play, right? Well, like I said, they would it, give you a fair shake. Absolutely, yes. And, so, and and but but remember, once again, we're in the maverick cuisine, and ramen shops are are funky places. And I was talking a little bit about how ramen shops were never really taken seriously. It's not a cuisine. It's right. not cool. Real chefs don't make ramen. Now they do in Tokyo and in New York. Sure. But 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 when I started, ramen was still considered a, like the the last. I tell you, you know, the, the salary man, you know, right before he kills himself in front of the train, he opens a ramen shop, right. and then if that right. fails, then, then he goes to the himself. train track. So you know, right? <laughs> that's well, had, the level. Had Chang opened here first, or had, did you open before? No, 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 Chang no. He opened, opened. he opened first. He opened here, so in America, it had just started, and it was to be inspiring to me his shop because right. I said. If he can do it, why can't I do it? You right. Know? So, right. Mama Fuku opens here. I mean, I mean, you mean, hear meaning about that it. he's an American guy, American you know, guy, American guy, he, and he's who decided who was obsessed with ramen like yeah. you were, and he opened in America. Yeah. And I was so jealous. Oh, you were. You saw. No, this is a very powerful thing. I was jealous. That's a very powerful thing. I was jealous because I was like, wow. Did I you mean, know he, Dave he, from working in the New York restaurants? No. Nope. Right. Nope. But you saw this guy did it. Did you come and try it? I did. And you were like, oh, it's good. This yeah, guy did like, the thing. Yeah, I was like, he did it. I was like, wow. And there's people lined up, and he's rocking and rolling. And Yeah, and, that was a my – I mean, I'll, when Dave comes on here, which he's promised to do, I'll talk about the first time so I went to that So he's rocking and rolling, and, and, yeah. and, 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 and after that moment, I was like, you know, I got – you know, I come from a different place because I'm, I'm sort of the Japanophile guy. But, you know, and, and, and so I, I sort of came from the inside out. Um, but it, yeah, but you guys both have very basic idea, which because you hear Dave talk about it too, and it's like, 
um, whatever it takes to do this, I'm just going to deliver something delicious to people. I'm not going to care. I'm going to find a way to make it amazingly good for them. Yeah. You, I mean, that's why I think you guys ended up bonding the way you did, even across, you know, this huge gulf of geography and age and all that stuff. Well, There's you go this, back to the end of the day, you, and, you know, look, restaurants, unfortunately, restaurants with great food with horrible concepts fail, and restaurants with great concepts and mediocre food succeed. Um, so it's not, I guess what I'm saying is it's not just the food. You do still need to have a concept that makes sense. Sure. You know, I mean, if you go to... But wait, I want to go, I want to stay on this thing because you and I both could go uh, far away. But so you you open and then there's this moment where this guy is going to come right. in. So my wife, I told you in the book, my wife, my wife sends this anonymous email. She goes to, to this guy. She sends him an email. She goes, hey, totally lying. Just went to this ramen shop, and there's a white guy running the shop. It was pretty good. And that, two sentences. That's all she sent to him. Now, had you had big, were there big crowds at this point already? No. So, right, you were just, you opened, it was doing okay. Doing Would okay. people tell you, hey, I like it? I was open, yeah, I was open five hours a day. Would I they look doing... at you like a freak? Yeah, some, sure. People would look at you like, what are you doing? Yeah. This is your I shop? All, I got all kinds of but You know what? It's my shop, so you can go f- Right. right there you go the motto <laughs> so then you send the uh the guy the guy comes in Marty writes the note but you think you so don't he know if he's coming in. but so you he, don't know if he's coming so he walks in and when i first started my first 6 months or a year my my buddy Tato, who has all the all the uh t-shirts and all the logos and all the stuff he's he was just graduated from art school and his mom and my wife had worked together. And so he came to our house for a party and he was saying how he wanted to go to live in England or something and he wanted to study English. And so I said, hey, well, why don't you come work with me and, and I'll speak English and I need a guy to help me. And he said, OK. And it was sort of bad because we never spoke a word of English and he hated cooking and all that. But nice. he was very, but he's so smart. And he taught me a lot about design, and he helped design all this stuff. And I wear the T-shirts. He's great. He's just such a great guy. And so, but he knew he knows like you know he knows everything on the internet. He knows everybody, everything. So the guy walks through the door. He slides totally, and he whispers in my ear, "That's Osaki-san." And I'm like, or, and I was like, oh, you know. Oh boy. And and and. and so Are you he, supposed to act like you don't recognize him? Yeah, I don't remember. Maybe he said to me as he was leaving or something. I don't remember what was wrong. So I'm making this. I mean, no, this is very much in the beginning where even making two or three bowls at a time is still really hard for me. I mean, now I can make, you know, I can make lots and lots right, of ramen. Right, but building the perfect bowl building of ramen. Building the perfect and bowl. And you really, you really wanted to build the perfect yeah, bowl so of ramen. Yes, I really wanted to build the perfect bowl of ramen. And I'm, you know, trying to, I'm, I'm like dripping with sweat. I'm hot. And this guy, all of a sudden... He stands up after he eats it and he starts asking me questions like, do you make your own noodles and how do you do it? And, 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 and you know, I couldn't catch what he was saying. I, I, I was so focused on cooking that I couldn't – I just couldn't catch his Japanese. And he didn't give me much of a chance. He sort of asked me two or three questions. I was like, huh? And he just said, he said oh, you know, whatever, thanks. And he walked out the door and I was like, I didn't – you know, I'm like kind of focused here, you know, and – and, I, and so I was sort of bummed out, but then he ended up writing on his blog that my ramen was great, and I ended up things started all of a sudden. I was on the cover of magazines, and he write he used to write this cool little tiny magazine, ramen magazine. And I was on the cover of my my Shio ramen was on the cover, and then like a couple a month or two later, I was I was voted you know rookie Shio ramen of the year. And and did the ramen and, chefs in town adopt you? Did they? Yeah, did they were yeah. like, all right, you know, you're you're one of us. I mean, I think to this day they still don't always know what to make of me. 
you know, I'm a little bit like weirdly mysterious. But at the time, but... your place became one of the most popular. You would have just because I think this story is so crazy. I mean, I don't think people understand it. What was the average line to get into your joint uh, for lunch and dinner? At, at least an hour and a half. People would come and wait an hour and a half yeah. for a 15 minute experience. Yeah. Because you sit down, slurp the noodles, and you're gone. Yeah. And it must have. What did it feel like when it was really all killing? Well, it was great. It was really great. I that mean, that we're happened. Just, we're just always packed. Always. You open the door, and, and there's always 10 people. And when you became people. like, you know, when it all happened for you and you became in the food world famous and you did become really famous in the food world, you would come to New York. David Chang would give you his restaurant for a couple of nights. You would do a pop-up of your place. It would be the biggest food story in New York of the week or the month. Did it feel amazing to you? Um, it did. You know, I mean, I have to say it was... Uh... It was, I mean, the whole Momofuku thing was sort of out of control. I mean, it really... When you did that week at Momofuku. And we totally misunder, mis, mis, and underestimated everything. And I think, you know, the chef was going to sell some of his ramen and some of my ramen, but nobody ordered his ramen. And they all ordered my ramen. And we ran out in like, you know, 30 minutes. We were already like sold out. And, you know, but we also, we messed up because, you know... They were, I was like, this, you know, we, we really should have made 300 bowls of each, and we didn't. We just didn't have enough. We just didn't realize it. I mean, this you got to remember this. I mean, this was this was in in August. It was literally no joke. It was it was like 96 or 97 degrees that day. And you're serving hot ramen. Serving hot ramen, and and people at, are waiting. At 5:30, there were in New know, York. You know where the where it is, right? It's it's closer to I think. It's on First Avenue and 12th Street. First Avenue, right up Thir between 12th, 12th and 11th. Yeah. Is that right? Or 11th or no, 10th, 12th and 11th. 10th and 11th. Yeah. Well, whatever it is. But it went down to the end, to the corner, and then all the way up the block. So there were like 300 people in line at the, at when it was, when it was fully, before everybody started hearing that there was no more food. And, and I mean, it was just, a, it was a Well, it ended up being a great up. thing for you. And, it was um, great. you know, next time we'll do this again, because we've been talking for a while, uh, and really talk about what happened that brought you back to America. But I, I will say that, you know, the whispers about your food and what you did had, had come here. And uh, when, when my son and I saw that you had opened Ivan Ramen Slurp Shop in the city, you know, we were, I remember, you know, we were so excited and I had to figure out uh, how to get in because I knew it was going to be crazy in the beginning. And I was so happy that it lived up to the idea in my head. I remember one of the only, one smart thing I did, David Chang has this magazine with Peter Meehan called... Uh, and Chris Yang called Lucky Peach, and they had asked me to write something for Lucky Peach. And I said to Pete Meehan, who's one of the most connected guys in the world of food, a great writer, he said, well, what do you want to get paid? And I said, I don't want to get paid, but I want to be able to call you anytime I need to get into a great restaurant, and I want you to hook me up. That's all I want is introductions to great food. And he said, great. So he had introduced me to Ying, and, and then I, Ying wrote your book with you. Right. And I remember calling Ying or emailing him and going, Ivan is opening. I have to be able to go. I can't wait online. I can't get shut out. Right. I want to take my son. And uh, somehow Ying reached out to you, and I got to go that first night that you had a friends and family. And, man, it was like, you know, it was like everything I could possibly hope it would be. It was the first time, and I loved David Chang's ramen, and I still do. Um, and... Uh, but I have to say, when I, you know, first tasted the thing you did, I could feel in a weird way, like all the years that led up to it, you could feel that this really mattered to you. Right. And I, how many times, I mean, I know you clocked it. I think, what did I do? Come like, did I come like 10 days, almost like 10 days in a row or something? Yeah, yeah. 
like I just kept, I just had to keep coming in and eating this uh, dish. And this one dish that I, I ended up loving was called garlic uh, mazaman and uh, triple garlic. It's like this triple garlic thing. And it, uh, my wife and I have been married 20, almost, you know, 23 years. She's my very best friend. I, uh, the most important thing in the world to me is my family. And uh, the garlic smell got so strong on me that she basically kicked me out. And I kept coming to the restaurant. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to say yeah. that no, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, this whole, this whole hype thing. You know, it's, it's sort of a love-hate thing. You know, it, it, hype is great because it's for any business, even now, especially now in 2014, you know, you can't just – Open, be a nobody and open a restaurant and really make it. Well, I'll tell you, man, it's been a great pleasure for me to get to know you over this past. Uh, how, when did you open Slurp Shop? I opened Slurp Shop in November. Right, that's uh, what yeah, I thought. A yeah, year ago, right? Yeah, like a, a year, year and a month ago. Yeah. And you and I met that first night yeah. and, and become pals. And yeah. I have to say, it's been great getting to know you this year. And, uh, you know, I'm so happy for your success. And uh, I'm so happy that whenever I walk in, um, you keep enough of the stuff to make garlic mazaman that I can have it anytime I want to be banned from my house. There you go. There you go. So you can just piss your wife off whenever you need to. Thank you for that. Ivan Ramen has two restaurants in Manhattan, Ivan Ramen Slurp Shop and Ivan Ramen. He has one restaurant in Tokyo called Ivan Ramen. And, um, hey, man, it's really delicious. And, and by the way, ramen is not an expensive food. No, no. Uh, down at Ivan Ramen in the East Village, if you want other stuff, you can get it. And it's, uh, you can, you know, if you want to go deep, you can. But walk into Slurp Shop, get a bowl of incredible, for me, Shio ramen or, uh, you know, spicy ramen. Let me know what you think of it. If you want to reach Ivan, he is on Twitter at? Uh, at Ivan Ramen on Twitter, uh, at Ramen Junkie on Instagram. And, and uh, if you ever want to chat, info at Ivan Ramen. And I am at the moment BK at gmail.com and at Brian Koppelman at Twitter. Thanks for listening, Ivan. Thanks for being here, and um, you've made me uh, hungry now for, for ramen. Nice. So, thanks, dude. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.